Hello, I am Mary Walter, and you are listening to the Team Gurus podcast, where we feature wide-ranging discussions about the issues that matter on teamwork and leadership. We have real conversations with experienced and successful leaders focusing on the practical insights that help anyone wanting to be a better team member or team leader. I'm Brian Buford. Welcome listeners. This is Mary Walter. I'm here with Brian Buford. Hi, everybody. We are thrilled today to be joined by Quintrita Whitmore. Quintrita is an amazing leader that I've known for a number of years, and I've just always been a huge fan, so I'm thrilled to have her on the podcast. I'll tell you a little bit about Quindrita. She's been in executive positions and leading teams for over 25 years. Her experience ranges from Target Corporation as a buyer, a director of loss prevention, and store operations senior director, to a regional vice president with Ross Stores. She's taken on a new adventure in hospitality and real estate with WeWork, as a senior vice president of community, United States and Canada. Quindrita's passion for people inspired her to launch Quindrita Whitmore Coaching and Consulting, where as Coach Quinn, she has helped leaders and organizations transform their futures over the last six years. Quindrita has a passion for building great teams that drive excellent results. Additionally, she enjoys helping individuals accomplish personal goals that are life-changing. Persistently, she has driven her personal and professional growth. A few examples, she received her master's in business administration and is a certified coach earning her CPCC from Coactive Training Institute. She has also received her doctorate of education from the University of Southern California with a focus on organizational change and leadership. Quindrita, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for making me sound so great. I appreciate you guys having me. (laughs) It's pretty easy with all that you've accomplished, Quindrita. We are thrilled to have you. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background and how you got where you are today? Yes, absolutely. I grew up in retail, uh, 25 years plus in retail. I started off as an intern in Target, moved my way through a couple of different areas, um, loss prevention, buying and operations, and then moved to Ross Stores for the last seven years of my retail career as an operator. Um, and then, you know, was getting ready to step aside from retail and move on and do my coaching business 100% of the time. And then WeWork came out of nowhere, a uh, different industry, really in hospitality and, and real estate. Um, and I saw an opportunity to help develop people and an opportunity for me to continue to develop and grow. So I, I snatched it up and been here for about a year. You know, I'm also very interested in your in your work to achieve your EDD, Quindrita. You recently completed your dissertation. Congratulations! I know how much work that was. Thank so you. Give us a little line here. What you studied and what did you learn through that process? Yes, that process uh, towards the the end it really um, it challenged me. That one almost killed me. I've done like I think it cured me a little bit of having to go back to school immediately for something else. So. <laughs> Uh, but it was fantastic. Um, and I studied the gender, learn gender roles of male senior leaders in retail and the impact that the learn gender roles have on advancement for women in retail. And really, there's a few things of uh, why I did it. I, they always say that your dissertation is usually a study of you um, and, <laughs> and you're all in that, right, in, in the dissertation. But it, um, women are majority female. 
uh, retail is a majority female industry. When it starts off over 55% are female, but when you get into C-suite, specifically the Fortune 500 CEOs, only 17.8% are female. So something happens in the middle. And so that's what I really wanted to find out is what's happening um, in the middle. And so that's where I ended up, you know, really diving into that and, and doing, you know, a lot of research. I spent two years researching all of the things that have been out there before. And the reason why I decided to talk to C-suite men is because a lot of the research women are spoken to from their perspective. And that's the marginalized group, which is why most folks want to talk to them. But I really took the stance of the men have the power and they have to be bought in to change it. And so I wanted to understand their perspectives and their experience of why um, those pieces were happening. So it was really, really interesting work and great conversations with uh, a great group of men that agreed to participate. What do you think the biggest takeaway is in terms of putting your insights and all of your hard work into practice? Yeah, so the, um, it's interesting because there were a couple of very specific things that came out of it. The first is, and, and a bunch of researchers previously had said that if men took this gender bias as, as a strategy, like they do some of their other initiatives and they really drove it and put intention behind it, it would really be a done deal. Um, and that's point. where I, great point. and that's what really came out in the research, right? There was this group that was stuck in, um, everyone was all in for awareness. There was a group that was stuck in awareness and they would say things like, well, you know, it's a marathon, Quindrita. It's all about awareness. It's going to take some time. And then there was a different group that said like, okay, I have the awareness, but I have a specific action plan that we are doing and they could name off these specific actions. And then there was a smaller group of three men that, that had accountability on the back end of that, that said, Mm. we're going to start with awareness and I'm going to teach you. We're going to have right conversations. We're going to make a plan. We're going to, but then in the end, there's going to be accountability because it's important to me and it's important to our member, our customers or it's important to our employees. And that is why you have to be bought in. And if you're not bought in, it's going to hit your, um, your merit. It's mm-hmm. going to hit your review. It's going to hit your bonus. And ultimately, you won't work here anymore if it's not important to you. And so those men, every time, change the results in every company they led, every time. Such a clear roadmap for success. Yes. It's so yeah. clear. It really makes a difference. And your research really outlines that um, the impact that can be made and the impact that can be made very quickly with those three pieces in place. Um, yes. And I love that you had such deep research, but also it's not that complicated, right? <laughs> <laughs> I literally had a couple of people say, like, it's really not. It's not rocket science. Just start hiring. Like, just right. start going out. Like, if you right. don't have a diverse slate that you're interviewing, you won't change the numbers. That's period right. in. Um, and even one of the um, one of the, the men said, here's what I do, Quindrita. We get a diverse slate. I make sure we get a diverse slate. And if then I have a diverse slate, if we do the right things, some they're going to pick the best person. Sometimes it's the white male. Sometimes it's African-American female. Sometimes it's right. But what I know is if this one leader is always picking the white male, you're my problem. And then I come see you. (laughs) He's like, it's really that simple. I I was really struck by that part of your research um, that it really does when you, you, when you're so clear with the goal, when you're so clear with the approach, it becomes very clear if somebody's not 
uh, aligned with mm-hmm. that goal, just like any other business goal. I mean, it becomes yes. very, very clear. And I, I really resonate with my experience as well. And I think uh, having the courage to have those conversations and say, hey, I'm noticing that you don't have, you're not hiring any uh, diverse yes. candidates. What's going yes. on here? Um, and having, you know, myself have, having had those conversations, uh, it can be a little scary as a leader to have that conversation. What are people going to think about you? But if you're really mm-hmm. committed, you got to have the courage to do it. And I think adding that accountability as well. Um, yeah. you, if you really believe that this is important, then you have to really stand behind your word as a leader. Really compelling re- research, Quindita. Thank you. No problem. It, it was, it was, they were fantastic interviews. Um, great conversations. I did learn the lesson because there was one interview that was supposed to be about 45 minutes and one interview I let go on for like an hour and 15 minutes because it was so phenomenal. Um, yeah. It had great conversation. And then I had to transcribe <laughs> word for word. <laughs> it took me a whole about four hours. And I was like, oh, that's a lesson learned. I need to control that a little better. <laughs> you said that the interview wasn't that good. <laughs> I'm assuming this is a qualitative study. Is that correct? Yes, it was qualitative. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there are many upsides to a qualitative study, and I wish I would have done one 2020 hindsight. I guess one of the few downsides is the transcription process, but that, yes. that is really cool. That's cool. <laughs> Let's maybe talk just about your first part of your career in retail. As I see it, I mean, you had experience in merchandising, in AP, loss prevention, asset protection, and then uh, store leadership at a broader level. And I think it's relatively rare for someone in retail to have those experiences, especially the merchandising and store combo. What was that like? What was the benefit of that experience? And anything you would have done differently, 2020 hindsight? Phenomenal experience. And the thing I would do differently and that I would suggest that everyone does is um, I would have worked in the stores first before I was a buyer. Yeah, because <laughs> when I went out to the stores, I understood the the ramifications of the decisions that I was making. And so many buyers, um, I think, do this whole like, well, they'll find space for it, right? Like Target is a very planogrammed system. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying like, well, just buy that from it's a great deal from the vendor stores will find space for it. Um, and uh, not understanding, right, the issues that that causes through the system. Yeah. But I will tell you the biggest thing that it gave me was when I went to the stores from corporate first, I was able to explain the whys Um, Hmm. instead of just saying like, I don't know why they made that decision. I was able to explain a much bigger scope to the stores to get people on board with Hmm. why we were doing something, which I think is also a big missing part. I think people see the stores as just executors, which is 100% got to execute in stores. But if you explain the whys to people and just a change management process, they will get on board and they'll do it even better than you ever imagined. Um, And that's, it was, and to your point, there's not a lot of people that have that. And I had no intention of going to operations. I was actually interviewing for the FBI and I was going to go off and be an FBI agent because I love, you know, criminology and all that. Yeah. It's the craziest story. And, um, (laughs) and I met, um, a vice president for target and asset protection at a happy hour. And he's like, I like you, I want to mentor you. Um, and I'm like, mm. ah, yeah, I don't know. And ended up being a mentee of his. And mm. as I was meeting with him, he would be like, Oh, like, I'm sorry. I was late. We were meeting with the FBI. We're working on a case for them. And I'm like, well, then why in the world am I going off <laughs> for the FBI? I have targets doing all this stuff. Like, yeah. and so then I talked to him and said, like, I may want to come over to asset protection with you. Um, and so I went out into the stores. It was 
phenomenal experience. And then um, Sid Kaswani was my senior vice president. He came to me and said, yeah, right. you ever think you'd be an operator? And I'm like, I don't know. I've never thought of it. And so um, I did it and loved that also. So some great experience that's really rounded me out, I think, especially in retail and in business in general. That is cool. I did not know that. I it actually, I worked at Target uh, and I actually was able to do some work with the FBI for five years when I lived in DC and both awesome organizations, very different. You would have been awesome in both, I'm sure. Uh, Thank that you. That is very cool. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I love to hear the impact of both a little bit of lucky in that you got exposed to some leaders that were important, but mm -hmm. also being um, finding those mentors and people that were looking out for you. I know you talked about that in your dissertation, people saying, oh, I was lucky. And, and in reality, mm -hmm. they actually had a lot of mentors and sponsors looking out for them. And so it's, yes. it's interesting to reflect on your own experience and how important those mentors and sponsors were for you. Yeah, I will tell you, um, I got really good at mentors and sponsors, probably once I got out into the field, because I think I used to think I had to have this one person that was the end all be all mm -hmm. um, and that they all played the same role when I had a mentor. And I then started, you know, reading and think through my MBA and really understanding that like different people can play different roles and there's champions um, and then there's mentors and there you've got to have that sounding board of the person that you can be really honest with and you know it goes nowhere else but they're going to tell you the truth and they're going to go get it out here, Quindrita, because when you go out into the world, what are we going to say, right? Like, what is it going to be? And you have to have that. But then there are these other people who are just have a seat at the table and you want them to know what you're doing. And so those can be the champions and the sponsors mm -hmm. out there where you say, hey, once a month, I want to just like give you an update and tell you where I am and what I'm doing so that then there's more than just your boss sitting at that table that say, yeah, I know Quindrita. I know what she's doing. So really understanding that, that you can have different people play different roles, but um, that you've got to come to the table. It, it's a little bit of what we were chatting about earlier is that people have to be willing to give their time and to speak up for you. And so you've got to come as a mentee, you've got to come not half stepping, you've got to drive it, you've got to make it sure that you're taking their advice and applying it. Because if not, you will quickly, quickly lose the respect of those folks um, and you'll have wasted their time. I love that perspective. And it really resonates with me in that um, I, I think the openness you describe with, you know, kind of being willing to say, oh, I'm really struggling with this, with that kind of a mentor. And then with sponsors being willing to ask for it. Um, mm -hmm. I think back in my career and I'm a little embarrassed. I had a woman that I mentored and she was up for promotion and I did have a seat at the table and she came to me and said, hey, will you go tell my boss that he should promote me? And I totally support her. She was the right person for that job. She was terrific. And it just hadn't occurred to me that I needed to go sit down with him and have a meeting and explain why he should promote her. So I did. And she got promoted. Um, but it's really interesting that as much as I, you know, cared for her, liked her, supported her, I, yeah. I didn't set up that meeting without her asking. It's not that I didn't care. It's just I had mm -hmm. 3 million other things going on. And so I think there's something about knowing uh, it's okay to ask. Yeah, uh, I was happy to do it. I, in fact, like I said, a little embarrassed. It didn't occur to me. So, I think uh, knowing it's okay to ask your sponsors for what you need. 
It is. And make it easy for them. Right? Like, yeah. Spell it out for them. Don't make people guess. Right. Like, right. Right. Ask people like, what do you want to do? I'm not sure. It's kind of like, okay, well, this is going to be really difficult for me to then help. Right. You. Like, right. <laughs> Call me when you figure that out. And, yes, I, exactly will help right. you. and right. I promise you, I will be there. You know, you've done so much uh, work around leadership, mm-hmm. Quindrita, and I think you have a very strong perspective on what makes for a good leader. You're in a space as well now where you're thinking about the future, the future of work. I think you're in a really cutting edge uh, part of the industry. So tell us, what do you look for in leadership when you're hiring now? What qualities do you think are really important as you're going to select somebody for your team? Yeah, I think there are a few things. I think um, what I, I get that question from folks that are looking for jobs and they're like, like, what are the things that you look for? I'm like, well, the number one thing I look for is authenticity and self-awareness. Um, because I think that different people can bring different aspects, but if they're not, if they're not aware of what they bring to the table and they can't speak to it and they don't understand the dark side of that, that's where we get into trouble. And so someone being authentic opens up the door for them feeling safe, which opens up the door for creativity, conversation, getting the best out of someone, um, because then you can build trust faster and then they can soar with what they are great at, but admit what they're not. Um, great at so though that and the self-awareness piece there's a ton of folks that I literally interviewed someone just a few weeks ago and asked like what are your strength like what are you great at uh, well I just feel like other people should tell you that well you know you're in an interview <laughs> right like <laughs> I, I, I gotta know that you understand Wrong answer. That. <laughs> let me go call around <laughs> that's um, great and then understanding that we all have phenomenal strengths that make us who we are but they're um there's these two researchers, Kaplan and Kaiser, and they did this study and it's called lopsided leadership and it's overusing your strength and understanding that when a, when a situation comes that does not call for your strength and when you still use your strength, that's overusing it and it will create this lopsided leadership and it can be devastating in some cases. And so really understanding that about yourself and saying, these are what I'm great at, but this is not what I'm great at, but this is how I manage it. And these are the people I look for to help me, I think is really important as a leader when you're hiring, um, when you're hiring someone for any position. Where did your passion for leadership come from? It's so interesting uh, because it definitely comes from family and, you know, we tend to follow and learn from our family, um, which is why my dissertation was that learn gender roles that happened at home and youth, all of that. And my dad was in retail. Um, and he military first and then retail, and he was a leader. Um, my mom was also in retail. So surprise, surprise, me and my sister went into retail. Um, mm-hmm. right, that's where we ended up. And but at a young age, I will say watching my dad be a leader was hugely impactful to say to be able to see, oh, yes, it is possible. Like to be able to envision it to go, oh, I can do that. I can be a leader. And then my mom on the back end of just pushing. Now I look back and I understand it was she would push us to our potential. Um, I I remember just a really quick story. We tried out for cheerleading, me and my sister, elementary school. We didn't make it the first year. And my mom, like, because we got out there and we were quiet, you couldn't even hear us. And we got home and my mom said, well, most parents would be, you know, would have been like, those stupid judges, they should have. My mom's like, you didn't deserve it. You run around here yelling at the top of your lungs. I couldn't even hear you. (laughs) So if you want something, you better, like, you've got to bring your best every time. Otherwise you don't get it. And that's what you should take from this. 
And the next year we made it. And I was literally a cheerleader from elementary school all the way to University of Minnesota dance team, right? Like, and those are the pieces that I think my mom pointing out those moments Mm. and saying like, this is the thing you got to learn from it. Or Mm. even I would, I, some cashier gave me $50 extra change and she should have given me like, you know, a 10. I was at the mall with my mom and I walked out. I was like, she gave me a 50. What should I do with it? My mom's like, I don't know. What are you going to do? What do you want to do with it? And she would not tell me. And I just wanted my mom to say, go take that wow. right now. And she was like, I don't, and we went and sat down for lunch and she knew I was, and I asked her to say, how did you know that I was going to return? She said, I, no, I wasn't 100% sure, but I was pretty sure. Cause I know your hmm. character. And I said, we got to take it back. That lady make it. And I was like 13 at the time. It was crazy. Wow. So I think my mom was that like, lesson, like grab yep. the lesson and yep. apply it. Gosh, I don't know if I could do that. I don't, yes. I think I'd be like, take it back right now. That's the right thing to do, which is like, And why you would know, you even ask that question? Why would you even ask that? I'm so disappointed in you. Yeah. Right. I mean, that the wisdom of your mom's approach in that moment is, I, I think your parents both set a very high bar for the rest of us who are parents, Quindrina. Yeah, like yeah. they have just, they are so wonderful. So yeah, terrific. Some great examples too. How do you set a, a bar for excellence and really- um, encourage that. It's wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Well, tell us about hospitality for a moment, if you don't mind. What drew you to make this big shift out of retail? Um, what have you learned from that? Uh, yeah. Give us a little bit of perspective on on making a shift from one industry to the other. It was it was a big shift, and I got to tell you, it was not planned. I knew that I was um, ready to kind of exit out of retail. Cause there was this self-reflection moment. I, I always want to be learning and growing and I'm mm-hmm. kind of got to a point where I was like, okay, it's yeah. time, right? There was this yeah. piece inside of me that said it's, it's time. Yeah. yeah. That I was like, it's time. I'm not learning. I'm not really growing anymore. And so it's time to shift. And I had set up my coaching business and, um, you know, done some things and I'm like, this, this is really where I want to be. And I had planned out this whole thing. I'm going to give Ross a 30 day you know, notice and, I'm going to go off and then I'm going to be a consultant and be a professor. And uh, WeWork had called about a year before that in May, I got another call from WeWork and they were like, Hey, and I said, no, I got a plan too late. I'm good. I love the brand. I love you guys. And they said, we have this new chief operating officer and I just want you to talk to him. That's all I want you to do. Just talk to him. And I talked to him and I went, damn it. I didn't want to like him. (laughs) And I will learn a boatload from him. Yeah. Um, And then a big lesson to me in that process also was because I had made up my mind. Well, but I'm leaving it. You see, I'm going to be in Dallas is where I want to be now. And so I'm like, so it's not going to work because they were talking to me about a different area. And the head of HR called and said, don't say no, just give me a problem to solve. And I told her why I was going to say no. And she solved every one of them. Wow. And she was like, that's a great way to handle that. And I never would have, and and I I really think there's a lot of people who put that on themselves versus putting it. And she's like, just give me, give it to me. And I'll tell you if I can't do it. And so it was amazing. And that's how I ended up here. And she said, both of them said, "Um, I think we're going to have fun. You'll, I think you're going to learn a lot and you get to develop people. And that's, you know, that's all you have. I get to develop people. (laughs) (laughs) Done. Uh, Yeah, like exactly. Like, you know, that that fished me right in. And so um, 
it has definitely been a challenge because I think working for companies that were really, I mean, when you think about Target and Ross, they've been around for a while and they have these processes down and you may tweak something here or there, but creating from the beginning. And um, I learned in school, the hardest thing is changing the the founder's culture. And that's Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do Mm -hmm. with new leadership in. Um, That's what I'm working on. So it's really challenging me to think about it differently smart, phenomenal people that are so open and they just, well, I, I don't know that. If you can teach me that, I'll do it. And you say one little thing and they go and create this magic. So it's a pretty cool place. Amazing opportunity in terms of learning, leadership, change, culture. I mean, all the things you're passionate about, I can only imagine the lessons you've learned and what you continue to learn will be really important. I love that too, Brian, because you know, so often when people call me about their debating their next step or their next role, either within a company or taking a new job. And I think saying, what, what do you want to learn Mm -hmm. and where are you going to learn it? And I think that filter in your decision-making will enable you to have a role that's exciting, that's engaging, that gives you purpose. I mean, just really looking through that filter that you use, Quindrita, around learning, you know, and growth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because my, uh, in my coaching, I do values-based coaching. Um, And that's exactly right. Because People will say, I want this. I think I should be a director or vice president. Well, that's a title. Why do you think? And most of the time when you start breaking it down, it's not even a core value of theirs. That job is not even what they want to be doing, Um, but they feel like they should. And they're stuck in should. Well, I should be a vice president by now. And who's mine? Like, is it what do you even want? And so really, when you start talking to people to say, like, let's figure out your top two to three values. Because I know if you don't fulfill those, you won't be happy and you'll drag in the morning. You'll be one of those people that wakes up and you're like, oh my God, I got to go in today. And it's because those values are missing. And so if we start there, then we can figure out what you really want. And to your point then, Mary, like, because mm-hmm. continuous learning is in my core values. Mm-hmm. And when I start dragging, if I'm not right. learning. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. So it's like yes. connecting, connecting those decisions for your career to what your core values are. And for you, continuous learning is one of them. That's brilliant. Yes, absolutely. Beautiful. Yep. And even people who pick like an organization, I talked to this woman a few months ago, coaching her and she was in, I always say like dollar stores off price. They're allergic to time and they're allergic to money, right? They, they don't, if anything's adding time and cost into there's no way in the world. And she was in HR and she was so disappointed that she couldn't get this company to understand all of these programs they should be rolling out for the engagement of the team. And I was like, you're, you're an off price, right? Like, right. no, they're not going to do that. <laughs> like you right. got to say where you it's are. It's not a good match. Right. Not a match. So if that's the stuff you want to do, you got to go. <laughs> it's a great perspective. Yes. You started your current role in August of last year. What's been most challenging about the, this pandemic? What was it like to start an organization in the middle of it? And, and, and what have you learned? Well, I think the pandemic, um, so to your point, I think we all thought, well, this won't last that long. Um, yeah. Yeah. Foolish. <laughs> like, yeah. Man, yeah. were we wrong? Um, and I think that throughout the, the pandemic, um, the staffing piece has been extremely dynamic from right not needing anyone um to then all of a sudden needing everyone but people getting right these financial checks and do they really want 
along with, I think a lot of people took time to reflect and go, well, do I, is that really what I want? Whatever industry you were in, like, what am I really doing? And so all of that kind of combining together to try and figure out, like, as things start bouncing back, how do we quickly, like, white ride this wave and get the right people in the door without lowering your standards? Because um, I don't remember who told me this. It it may have even been Mary, like, throughout my career, like, you've got to hire great. You can't hire good. Good may drop to bad. If you at least hire great, you think you're going to possibly live up to that greatness, but they may drop a little bit to good. But like holding that standard in these times, it's something that I've learned over and over and over again. And, you know, once in a while you stub your toe because you, you know, you make that sacrament, you go, ah, it's been open for too long. And then every time um, it teaches that lesson again, and then you go back and go, nope, we've got to hold the standard to hire the right people. Um, I think the other piece of it is, is that which I've always believed in, but even understanding it more is you've got to hold the space for people's whatever's going on in their personal lives. Hmm. You've got to hold the space in the workplace. And if you're not making sure that you hold that space there, there's a huge trust gap. There's a huge right engagement gap. Um, and so I think so many people want to do this compartmentalize, like this is work and this is home and you can't come in here and like have, but if home, you've got like, family members with COVID, you've got social injustice, you have all this stuff going on, you've got to address that. Yeah. You can't just expect someone to walk in the door and be like, and now I'm work. Um, and so I think the, the, um, the pandemic highlighted that even more for me of making sure that on these big, uh, you know, I have buildings in Minneapolis where the, you know, George Floyd, like the trials were going mm. on for George Floyd, all of those pieces and like how we really held space for people mm. was really important. Like, so I think so many people who had kids running around or dogs running around, like you, they'd have like, you know, they'd all of a sudden turn their camera off when kid busts in the room. And I'm like, leave your camera on. Like, who yeah. cares? It's like, <laughs> like, it's a really nice <laughs> distraction for the rest of us that gives exactly us, gives right. us some like, human connection and laughter it does and it's okay like it's, this is where we are this is yeah. true like and really we were i think we were a little too snooty tooty before pretending like that stuff wasn't happening right like so yeah. like well, let's all get over ourselves. <laughs> you're right <laughs> right like we all put on that professional mask and pretend like you know the dog didn't throw up in our bed this morning right like i think that's exactly beautiful right. <laughs> i think you're right it's one of the best things that came out of this time was this kind of understanding each other in a more deeper personal you know way and getting that glimpse into our lives it, it's interesting in some of the work brian and i do one of our clients actually suggested this practice to us of checking in on a team meeting with everyone rating themselves as green yellow or red mm, i love and that and the it's really an awesome practice and you know the rule is if somebody's red you're not trying to fix it you know we're yeah. not all going to jump in and try mm-hmm. and make it better but I, we've found that that um, is really meaningful. And for yeah. people just to be able to acknowledge um, where they are individually. And then sometimes for Brian and I to be able to acknowledge where the team is, you know, some yes. of those times we've been in a very good place and sometimes they've been in a really not a great place yes. at all. And to be able yes. to say, okay, how are we going to get through it? Um, I, I agree. I just think that kind of a check-in with one another. I hope we keep that now that, you know, as we move back to more in-person hopefully someday soon that we don't forget that lesson that we learned. And that's the, that's the risk, right? Is that we seem to have short-term memory on stuff like this. And once, you know, Mm -hmm. we, and I hope we don't, because I will tell you, 
one of the most impactful meetings that I was in was run by our inclusion and diversity team. And it was um, at the time when it was even at its peak, even it's still going on as all of that violence against Asian Americans. And um, literally it was, the meeting was just, if you want to come, come. And the only question you have, you can participate, you cannot, you can just be on, on screen, you can be on. And it was just like, where are you at today? And how are you? And that was literally every, and the, where you got to from there and understanding the things that people were going through and what they were willing to share I mean, I think all of us were in tears it, for sure by the end of that, but at different points, like where you're just like, I didn't even realize this is where I was because I'm just busy. You're just busy. And when you slow down enough to say like, yeah, where am I? Because the learning happens in reflection moments. Oh, I am not good. Like, thanks for asking. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's so important, but I, and I hope we don't lose it. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, sometimes we ask you to give your perspective uh, to when you graduated college and you were starting um, in the candy department, if you went back to that person and gave them some right. advice. But I will broaden that and say either to yourself at that moment or, you know, with the perspective, what advice do you have either for yourself in that yeah. moment or for others in their career? I think you've managed your career beautifully so far and, and any thoughts or advice that you would have. I w it's so funny. Um, and I'm going to say his name because he was very influential, Tim Mantel. Um, he <laughs> literally sent me an email um, in, in LinkedIn just a little bit ago. And I said, I was just talking about you the other day because someone asked me what was one, one of the most impactful moments. I worked for him in the candy department. And I remember this woman, other woman who worked with us. And um, I was so focused on her and what I felt was, you know, fair, unfair and like all of these pieces that I couldn't just focus on like what I was good at. Um, and so I remember him finally sitting me down and saying like, I need you to focus on, I like, I need you to like not focus up because like, this is the stuff you're not doing. And so if you don't fix this stuff, you're never going to have the opportunities that that's a person. And so you're sitting here comparing versus just getting really focusing on what you do really well and what you need to work on. Um, and of course, that night I left and Tim Mancal's an idiot and I, you know, never liked him anyway, well, which, you know, which is not true because I've always liked him. But that night I didn't like him and I never liked him. Um, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I'm going to go back tomorrow and tell him that. And then something slowed me down enough to go like, OK, he's right. And yeah. from that moment on, and this was one of my first job, I never, have ever have ever asked for a promotion. Um, it has just been, I focus on what I'm doing. Hmm. I understand what I bring to the table. And I also am aware and admit what I'm not doing well. And I work to like get feedback on it and fix it. Um, I remember um, one, of, one of my bosses always, she's like, I love giving you feedback. You're easy to give feedback to. And I'm like, I, I don't like feedback any more than anyone else does. I just know I've usually given myself the feedback before it comes from you. So I'm just like, yeah, you're right. Like, I really stunk up the place that day, didn't I? Like, <laughs> this is what I really thought about. And this is what I, and so I think that him sitting me down, although it wasn't a, a, an easy message to hear, was so impactful yeah. um, for me just to reshift and go like, yeah, he's right. Like, I, why am I worried about all these other people versus just me? And Tim, I worked with him as well. I, I was always just, I found it to be amazing how, smart he was as a merchant and a yes. business person as well as a 
coach of talent. He understood at an intuitive level what people needed to hear and when and when to be soft and when to be tough. He 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 was he's brilliant. That that's yeah. cool to hear. Yes. It's a good message too. I think the next time as a leader, if you're thinking, boy, I don't want to tell that tough message. I'd rather not. They're yes. gonna be upset. What a gift. What a um gift of your courage and what yeah. it can do. I mean, that was life-changing. It and was he, life-changing. He could have just avoided telling you that truth. And instead he had the courage yeah. to do it and it made yes. such a difference. That's beautiful. Yeah. And if you think about how many years it would, would it have taken for me to get that on my own? Right. Like to shift that perspective. Accelerated. Versus yeah. someone who I really respected saying that yeah. to me. And, and I, I complete, that is the gift of courageous leadership and that direct feedback. And if you build the trust, you can say those things. Um, and really it paid off from I, every now job I've ever gotten. I've literally said, no, I'm not ready for that. Um, and other people, I remember when Mary, you came, you guys came and said like, oh, you're going to go to Didi's. And like, and I was like, are you crazy? I still got stuff to do here in Houston. This doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> I can't do that. Like, <laughs> um, and so it, it really, um, I think that it, it focused the energy. And I think especially this generation that's coming in, there's so much focus on like, I deserve to be CEO tomorrow. Um, and you're like, okay, yes, you are that brilliant. But like, <laughs> let us talk about the other stuff that you have to do to be able to get there and build your career and like all those pieces. Focus on yeah. your learning and your Focus on your learning. Yep. Yeah. 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 While still building mentors and sponsorships, that's as exactly you said earlier. Right. That's right. Exactly right. Because <laughs> development is not promotion. And that's what I think I, I'm trying, we're trying to redefine here. I think it's not just here. It's a yeah. bunch of other, development is not promotion. And yeah. so those are two very different things. And so what we want you to, to get to really hold dear is the development and yeah. promotion will come. Yeah. And we'll take care of that side. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Quinn, Judy, you had so many uh, beautiful nuggets of wisdom today. If people want to get more, if they want to connect with you, where can they find you online? They can find me at my website at uh, coachquinn.com uh, they can also email me at um, quindrita at coachquinn.com if you just like literally google coach quinn i'll pop up and you'll be able to find like the different places to come, to come and that's q-u-e-n right q-u-e-n yes Got coach it. q-u-e-n yes thank you for clarifying that terrific well thank you so much it was so fun connecting with you quindrita Uh, congratulations on achieving your doctorate of education and all that you've accomplished. We are so happy to make this connection and spend this time with you. Thank you. Thank you. I very much appreciate being invited and I've always respected both of you. So I am so excited to be here.